welcome to the Political Party Pooper Playbook. And if you thought all we did was sit around thinking up ways to poop on empty suit politicians, well, you'd be half right. Be careful what you wish for. Welcome to P4B. This is episode 9. One more for our 10 for 10 goal. The world now resembles pre-World War I Europe. Notice to the reader, this is a premium podcast. I just moved this podcast episode from paid to free. You have no idea how difficult that decision really was. And it's not really fair to premium subscribers, but it's important you see it. Put tribal BS aside for 10 minutes and read or hit play. And whisper a quiet thank you to the folks who actively support P4B. I hope they understand my thinking. The reason I moved the podcast into the free category is because tonight, 23 February, four days after I wrote this piece, Leon Panetta, of all people, was on TV contributing to the saber-rattling, naming sides, calling out potential enemies. These people, especially China and Iran, have a penchant for saving face. What the hell are these political whores thinking? Now this is a one-time deal here. I made the change because things seem to be accelerating toward an unhappy ending. So the warning bell is sounded. If in these times you want this brand of information and non-Fox, non-MSNBC commentary, please actively support this podcast. To get all this podcast, you might need to set aside time for the videos. Before moving to the videos below, I want you to take a good long look at the picture just below the audio line. That's the face of then-Lieutenant Robin Bartlett, serving with the Air Cav along the DMZ in Vietnam. Keep looking at that picture. He's a child. He's leading men in battle. He hasn't even lived his life yet. And he's seen infinitely more shit in his tour in Vietnam than most of us will see in a lifetime. I don't know about you, but I see my two oldest grandsons, Liam and Aiden, in that picture. We hear a lot of people screeching lately for us to arm Ukraine to the teeth. There are people saying we need to defend Taiwan no matter what. Okay. I'm inclined to agree with both those statements. In terms of our national interests, yes, both those statements are technically correct. But are we prepared to do what's needed to make those commitments stick? Because I have news for you folks, the Russians aren't going away. And the Chinese think this is their century to do as they please. Are you prepared to deny them that? Look at that picture again. To accomplish what the saber-rattlers want in the foreseeable future, you need to be prepared for what the sacrifices will be. Will a war be worth these sacrifices? To prepare for potential action in those theaters of conflict, we need to enact now a national draft or mandatory military service now, not four years from now, or Ukraine and Taiwan are already gone. And you need to demand an outline now from your government a hard explanation of what we'll be fighting for. Is Taiwan worth it? Is Ukraine worth it? 
and victory will have to be defined long beforehand. If you hear terms like limited engagement or proportionate response or advisory force, you know these guys aren't serious. Those are terms for wars of convenience, not wars of necessity. There is nothing patriotic or moral in fighting a pointless war. And that's all we've done for almost 80 years, since the end of World War II. And arming the hell out of combatants won't do the trick either. Let's say China does make a move on Taiwan. Now we're pumping arms to Asia and Europe. We can send all the arms we want, so long as our friends want to keep on shooting. The weapons industry will make a killing. Just like pre-World War I and pre-World War II. But eventually, all the smaller players will be up against it. We will have stripped our national treasure for a desired outcome, and we won't get it. Now what? What did we end up doing in 1917 and 1941? Do you see my point? If not, leave a comment. We can kick it around some more. I believe an argument can be made for drawing lines in the sand. But at the moment, I don't believe we have the right people at the helm. I'm not comfortable with people so enamored with nonsensical trans fads and philosophies of weakness and ESG and the seat of power during a potential run-up to conflict. I still believe if we really put the screws to Putin, we still haven't, Ukraine could end very quickly. All the sanctions we imposed on Russia were rolled out in a very slow, comfortable fashion. It allowed Putin plenty of time to create workarounds to blunt the pain of each inconvenience. We never shut down his ability to finance his operations, and we never hammered the oligarchs hard. And it was all telegraphed to them well in advance. So Putin got his war, Biden got another shiny object to point to, and we got bilked for billions of dollars. Whether you support Ukraine or not, there is no way to deny that we were shafted for what should have been a non-starter for Putin. It was plainly obvious in the way he crept up to zero hour that he was reading the tea leaves, quite possibly not believing how easy we were making it for him. It was around this time we heard Ned Price, State Department flack, say the most stupid thing ever uttered by a U.S. government official. Deterrence only work after a country takes steps against our interests. The response to that, of course, is... If deterrents are weak and late to the game, then the aggressor is vested and can't walk away because of sanctions. So sanctions in this case should have been designed to prevent the actual invasion. The line to trigger sanctions should have been drawn at a point prior to the invasion. For example, Biden could have said in December, start standing down your buildup in the next 24 hours and evacuate your troops, by date certain, from the border areas. Or, all sanctions will be immediately imposed, including sanctions on your ability to export oil. That's what I was referring to when I mentioned Putin's gradual movement to the Ukraine border and his disbelief at what he was about to get away with. So along with allowing Russia to attack a neighbor and watching the Chicom belligerents in the Pacific, we have created a global atmosphere not at all unlike pre-World War I Europe. 
The citizenry is now discussing the possibility of war. We're starting to develop our own prejudices and attitudes toward potential combatants. These have been helped in no small part by the media and government press releases. This was the atmosphere in Europe between 1900 and 1914, and things happen a lot faster now. Left unchecked or handled stupidly, these things have a way of developing a life of their own. We get caught up in the momentum of bluster for bluster, slight for counter-slight, troop movement for troop movement. All the while, the wealth of nations and the credibility of opposing politicians get stretched very thin. Eventually, the general public will want to see results for their sacrifice. Weak leaders will make poor decisions to regain their stature. This was precisely the picture of Europe prior to World War I. It is exactly where we are now, watching, waiting, almost daring each other to cross some nebulous line. Then an actor does something no one saw coming. It doesn't even have to be an important figure, as we saw in 1914. Uh, just a nutbag with an axe to grind, or a tiny group of nutbags wanting to be on the world stage. The offended country hits back. Allies take sides. And the international leviathan starts an inexorable role toward conflagration. In these times, who will side with whom? Will Vietnam and Thailand and Malaysia side with us? Will Russia join China? What of South America or the Saudis or India? But it won't be the incompetent or impotent politicians doing the fighting. And it won't be most of the armchair generals holding forth at the dinner table about their dirty commies. It'll be our young people, who, by the way, are the most unprepared generation ever to face this kind of experience since Rome fell. This combined with our horrible present-day intel and military leadership leave us in quite a pickle. That's why I mentioned a draft or Mando military service to prevent what seems to be looming, we have to appear deadly serious. To defeat a potential adversary, we have to get big, fast. We also have to immediately do away with faddish infatuations that are wasting valuable time and softening our troops. The last thing a country needs is sensitive soldiers. Leave that to civil affairs. A soldier's job is to shoot, move, and eat. At any rate, the military we have today is not prepared for the actions we are presently pondering. Now here's a good part for me. I don't have to define the sacrifice required of the people who would be doing the actual fighting. On 7 March 23, Captain Robin Bartlett will be here on P4B to define the sacrifice for us. He's the young man in that photo. Happily, he is no longer a baby-faced lieutenant in the army. He's an old war horse and a better man than me. I had my war, but I never had the dubious honor of being shot at or shooting anyone. The captain's also an author. We will talk about Captain Bartlett's book and his time in combat. We will discuss the need to wrap your heads around the now. And the conversation will range in other directions. Anticipate a multi-episode event. So mark your calendars for 7 March and join us. Anticipate a variety of topics 
as the podcast unfolds. We'll have different types of guests and different topics, including finance and music and business. I'm working to produce things I think you need to know, along with things that are entertaining. Be sure to watch or listen to the videos below. The videos are just two aspects of the Ukraine argument. Fox and CNN certainly won't be of any help to you here. They both have a warped vision of what we're up against and a very poor forum for gaining in-depth information. Some quick thoughts on that second video. It is very informative. This, despite the speaker's strong infatuation with the Biden team, who I believe were doomed to bungle the Ukraine mess, and they did. They are of a naive stripe, and her observations about Trump are wildly simplistic. But you will get a real feel for the conflict in the interview. Also, Putin knew exactly what sanctions were coming. That was not a mystery. They had been telegraphed for months prior to the invasion and were scheduled to be strung out from February all the way to December, just two months ago. He even knew which banks would get the pinch, none of them being his money or oil and gas money. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and share the P4B. You don't want to miss a thing. Send inquiries to poriverproductions at gmail.com.